So now that you're seated and comfortable, um, look to your right, look to your left, make sure you're uh, aware of who is uh, on both sides of you and answer this question. Do you think those people are important? <laughs> Didn't have to think about it, huh? They're important, huh? Yeah, but how important are they? I mean, the ones you've just noticed. How? I mean, they're important, sure, but how important? I mean... Is one person, one person, more important uh, than the entire church body? Are there some situations you can think of where the interests uh, of the church uh, are more important than the interest of its individual members? Can you come up with anything? God can. In fact, he wrote an interesting passage about the subject where the individual, the individual's rights and interests are actually not supreme, but rather the healthfulness of the body has supremacy, even over the interests of, of its individual members. And the Lord gave us an interesting passage of scripture about this, and it, it's in this book we've been studying for the last few weeks. In this case, it's Numbers chapter 5, just the first four verses. Numbers chapter 5. That's where we are. It's about Israel's wilderness journey on their way to a place of promise. By extension, it's about our journey while we're on our way, uh, on our uh, walk to a place of promise, which we called heaven. Check this out. Numbers chapter five, verse one. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, do you realize that this took place about 3,400 years ago. And we are about to take a few moments to read the very words which God indeed spoke to Moses in which he recorded so that we could benefit from it to this very day. I hope you remain filled with awe over the scriptures which we possess. The Bible, nothing like it. It's perfect has to be, its source is perfect. Its author is Almighty God. And he spoke it through personalities, in this case, Moses. Here's what he said, verse 2. Command, so it doesn't say suggest. It doesn't say recommend. What we're about to read has the force of divine command. Command the sons of Israel that they send away, send away from the camp, Every leper and everyone having a discharge and everyone who is unclean because of a dead person. Wow. I mean, when I read this, I wondered how in the world uh, could a loving God command people to exclude from their ranks three groups of other people? In this case, those with leprosy. Those experiencing physical, bodily discharges of any kind. And those who have become ceremonially defiled by putting themselves in contact with a dead body. Maybe at a funeral or something like that. How do we square this uh, with the God who we consider to be a loving God? He commanded the people to put out of the camp other people. How could he do it? Why did he do it? It's because these three groups of people were contagious. 
And because of their contagion, if they remained in the camp, in the community, it could have very adverse effects for the entire community. And so though each of the people in these three people groups is surely important, they are not supremely important. In fact, the healthfulness of the faith community, the camp, the healthfulness of the covenant people of God takes precedence over the rights and the needs and the interests of its individual members. But what about individual rights? Well, they exist, but they are simply not supreme. Individual rights must give way to the common good. Now, that is a rough concept to wrap yourself around as Americans. Because we Americans insist on our rights. In fact, it's a rights-oriented day. It's not a responsibilities-oriented day. In fact, I shudder to think that if we are to be attacked, we may not win, not because our military is weak, but because we're such a nation of rugged individualists, I'm not sure we could get together with regard to the common good. Nobody seems today willing to sublimate his or her individual rights to the common good. But God says you must. In fact, God says you will. God commands it. He said you must go so far as to exclude from your camp those whose presence in the camp will have a deleterious effect on the purity, cleanness, and healthfulness of the rest of the camp. Now, boy, this is an unpopular message in this day of inclusion. Nobody wants to be excluded, and God issued a divine command excluding three people groups from the camp. And it says in verse 3, You shall send away both male and female. It's not a gender thing. Everybody, you shall send away both male and female. You shall send them outside the camp so that they will not defile their camp where I dwell in their midst. Now, folks, there is something about defilement in the camp and God in the camp. And this is what that something is. The two don't mix. Defilement in the camp, God in the camp, oil and water, opposites, and they do not attract. In fact, nothing unclean could dwell where God dwells. Do you know that? He's intensely holy. Nothing unclean could dwell where God dwells. And he set up his presence in the tabernacle, which was in the midst of this camp. Nothing unclean could dwell where God dwelt. God's holiness demands cleanliness. Have you heard the expression cleanliness is next to? They did a recent survey, and it's astounding to me. Many people think that's, uh, phrase is actually found in the Bible. 
uh, no, it is not found in the Bible. And yet you can see why some uh, would think that. In fact, you might be surprised to know that that expression, that proverb, cleanliness is next to godliness, is of Hebrew origin. And I'm so pleased to share that with you. <laughs> it is. It's an ancient Hebrew, not biblical proverb, but it's an ancient Hebrew proverb. And it only entered into English and our familiar awareness of it through the writings. You might find this interesting of someone called Sir Francis Bacon, who was a very well-known scientist and philosopher who wrote in the 1600s, and he used the phrase. He took it from Hebrew archives and, and made an application from it. And then some 200 years later, in about 1791, a man named John Wesley, have you ever heard of him, John Wesley? A famous itinerant traveling preacher, evangelist, and perhaps the father of modern Methodism, John Wesley took the phrase and used it in a written manuscript which became one of his sermons. He was using the concept of spiritual cleanliness being that which gives us intimacy and closeness with Almighty God. Cleanliness of a spiritual kind is indeed next to godliness. And so the closer in those days and even now, the closer... One would like to be to God, the more clean he must be. Why? Because nothing unclean could dwell where God dwelt. Now, this is what happened in verse 4. The sons of Israel did so and sent them outside the camp. Just as the Lord had spoken to Moses, thus the sons of Israel did. I was letting my mind wander the other day and thinking, if my people continued to do what God told them to do, can you imagine what a different world situation we would be in today? They were off to a good start at the beginning of their wilderness wandering on their way to the land of promise. And sadly, we'll see, Lord willing, in weeks to come, they really got off track. But for now, they obeyed the command. And do you realize it must have come with great cost? Think about this. They, in obedience to God's command, are putting some people out of the camp. How many? Well, they had about two and a half to three million travelers. I don't know specifically how many, but it would have been many who uh, were subject to one or more of these three conditions. Those who were in contact with a dead body, those who, male or female, who had bodily discharges of various kinds, those who suffered from skin diseases like leprosy. It, it would have been thousands. And so when the others would have put out these people, these people would have been put off. And think about this. Every one of these people uh, had the favor of some other people. And those people undoubtedly would have taken up their cause, don't you think? Can you imagine the grief, the priests and Levites, the elders, the leaders of this faith community must have had? Talk about emails, Brother John. Good night. They would have been inundated with words of criticism and attack because they just thought, how could you, a loving faith community, a covenant people, how could you deliver yourself subject to the grace of God? How could you behave in such a cruel and ungracious manner? How could you put people out of your camp when they need you most? 
And so good night obeying this directive. Remember, commandment, not suggestion of God. Obeying it would have come with no small amount of distress, uh, dissension, uh, confrontation, aggravation, dissatisfaction in the camp. But they did what God told them to do. People would have gotten their feelings hurt. Others would have taken up their causes. But God said, do this. Why? Because the feelings and interests of individual members of the camp are not more important than the healthfulness of the whole camp. And you and I are troubled by this because we think the church exists to meet my needs, and you think the same. And when that doesn't happen, you bail out. You need Numbers chapter 5, 1 to 4. Thanks for coming. (laughs) You are important enough for the Savior to have offered his life, but your life is not more important than the life of the body you belong to. Your needs, your interests... Your desires have to be sublimated to the common good. Welcome to the church of Jesus Christ. Now, how does all this ancient Israelite history really apply to us? Well, folks, though these directives given by God certainly had and have even today certain public health ramifications, uh, the reason for isolating people in one of these three categories, ones with communicable diseases, isolating them from the majority. The purpose of the application goes way beyond contagion. There's something more behind this. Everything in the Old Testament, everything is a foreshadowing of an ultimate fulfillment, which we read about in the New Testament. It's called the progress of revelation. God starts this out in Genesis, and then it progresses till we finish up in Revelation. And in the Old Testament, God speaks in very concrete terms as if we're spiritual infants. And when you get to the New Testament, then the symbols and the types and the foreshadowings of ultimate realities give way to ultimate realities. So, for instance, the tab, the temple and tabernacle in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of you and me being temples of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so these things, these physical diseases and bodily discharges and all the rest, God is speaking language we can understand. We can understand physical contagion and defilement in the camp. But there are deeper realities behind it. For instance, the leper, the one suffering from leprosy, was a ready picture of the awfulness an ugliness of sin. The bodily discharge was a picture of the pervasive, persistent nature of sin. It's always there. And the defilement incurred by one coming into contact with a dead body was a picture of the ultimate result of sin, eternal death, eternal dying. And so the physical uncleannesses, if you will, mentioned in this text are only a picture of moral uncleanness which must be removed from the camp in which God dwells. Because nothing 
unclean could dwell where God dwells. So I'm led to this statement. My fellow Christians, God dwells in us. Therefore, we are to be clean. We are to be morally pure. We are to be this way because he who is holy dwells with us and within us. Why do we have to say this? Because our standards are low. Sometimes I think we're more influenced by the world than we are influencing the world. And so we always have to raise the bar. Listen, where sin abounds, grace superabounds. Don't misunderstand. But that is no excuse for sloppy, unclean, immoral living. The imperative for the people of God is to be holy as he is holy. And if we were, if we were a clean community, people would see that we're different than any other organization. And I would either persecute us more or join us, one or the other. But we would be relevant. We couldn't be ignored. People couldn't drive by the church that was really holy. But all too often, we just look like the folks who are driving by. Now, look at here. I'm as inclined to sin as anyone here. Don't misunderstand. And I... Hope I meet up with care and restoration and all the rest should I choose to sin. But we do a lot of that talk and not enough of this talk. Don't sin. Don't do it. Be clean. Raise the bar. Watch what you're watching on TV. Watch what's on your computer. Watch your recreational pursuits. Watch who and what you touch. Watch it. We're a holy community. That's our calling. That's our imperative. And so just as people with contagious physical uncleanness could not be in that camp, so too people with habitual, contagious, moral uncleannesses cannot continue in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, boy, I just said something that is really politically incorrect. But it is spiritually correct. Why? Because sin, unbroken patterns of sin and immorality affect the entire body. There's no such thing as a secret sin. What do consenting adults choose to do in the privacy? Come on. The whole environment is corrupted because of human sin. Generations are corrupted because of human sin. And whole churches are stagnating in their forward movement because of human sin. In the camp, I didn't say sinners. I didn't say lapses. I said unbroken pattern of habitual immorality, uncleannesses, which are allowed to go unchecked. It's unacceptable before Almighty God. God has set the priority. It's not me because 
I'm like you. I don't, I, I don't have the mind of Christ unless he gives it, and he has. So God has set the priority. The good of the whole takes priority over the interests of its individual members. You know, if we got that, it would render grumbling and complaining extinct. Because almost everything we grumble and complain about is a personal affront or interest. I don't want to minimize that. I'm a sensitive human too. But get out of yourself for a change. That's the message I give me. Get out of yourself. Think of the common good. Grow up. I perceive, I feel, I thought. You didn't greet me. You didn't touch me. You didn't say hello. That's right. Because we're flawed just as you are. But flawed people are tied together by the flawless one on a common journey through the wilderness to a destination point, which is a land of promise. And we go together and we get there together for the common good. And this thing of me sitting in the back with my arms folded, wondering about whether how committed I'm going to be until I see how I'm treated... Save yourself some time. You are not going to be treated the way you want to be treated. We're just humans. It would be nice to notice if someone is missing from one of our Bible studies or church services. It's not going to happen all the time. It's just not going to happen. Should it? Yeah, it should. Because everyone's important. Can it? No, it can't. Why? Because every one of us is pretty limited and inadequate. We're just human. We're just human. And then can I just tell you something? If you want to put the church to the test, I'll just stay away for three weeks and see if anyone notices. (laughs) You failed the test of being committed to the church for the common good. Here's a better idea. If something's disturbing you or going on, stop testing. Just say so. Just say, I don't feel like coming back for this reason or that reason. Why don't you extend the courtesy instead of I wasn't there for five weeks and no one noticed? Maybe we did. Never mind. Come on, folks. Organizations that have only a time-bound lifespan oftentimes are more committed to one another than we who will be together throughout eternity. Let's get over not meeting each other's needs all the time. Do you know the purpose of the church is not to meet all of the needs of its members? The purpose of the church is to be a great commission society, glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ by staying together on a march forward through the wilderness, united by the blood of the Lord Jesus. (laughs) Spiritual babies cry about everything. Grow up for the common good. Grow up for the common good.
God set the priority. Now look at folks. Each of us is indeed important, but the purity of the totality of the church is much more important. Therefore, habitual sin in its ranks must be confronted, and the habitually unrepentant sinner must not be permitted to infect the church. Previously in this book, Numbers, we saw that the army of Israel was counted, numbered. Then we saw that the tribes of Israel were organized around the tabernacle. Then we saw that the priests and Levites were given their respective roles and responsibilities. And now in this chapter, we see that the holiness of the ordered and organized faith community must be maintained even at a cost to some of its individual members. The purity of the church is as vital as the order and organization of the church. And we have some church members who are more focused on the forms and procedures and policies by which we do church than they are on being the holy church. Get over it! The forms and the policies and procedures are important. But they're not the purpose for our being. The purpose for our being is to be holy as the head of the church is holy. In the camp of Israel, not everyone was a soldier. And not everyone was numbered as a priest. But every single member was responsible for personal purity and holiness so as to delight the Holy One who dwelt in their midst. Instead of finding such ready fault with the organization of which you are a part for almost everything nowadays, why don't you get in touch with your own discontent which is really behind it? Why don't you stop worrying about a jot and tittle in a letter, (laughs) a greeting card that should have been sent but that was not? Why don't you get over that and look in the mirror and check out where you are with the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered great indignities by your hand and puts up with you? How dare we not put up with one another? Grow up. Spiritual babies. We are under fire by the evil one like never before. Whether it be in the form of Islam or who knows what. And we think we have the luxury of taking pot shots at one another for the most foolish failures. It is a failure. To forget someone's birthday, someone's passing, someone's hospital stay, someone's absence. It is a failure. We must always try to do better. Please, please, let's help each other to do better. But we're not going to perfectly be able to do it. We're just human. We're just human. So are you. But your human needs have to be sublimated to the common cause. People die. For political movements. Are we not willing to die to self for the common good? Solidarity in the body? 
Harmony in the body? Unity in the body? Come on. Now don't get this wrong. Promised land people were not perfect people. Neither are we. I don't mean to insinuate that. But I do mean to declare this. Promised land people are to be perfected people. As in Israel, so with us. God wanted them to be a promised land people, and so he was in the business of making them a pure people. So to the church, we're meant to be a promised land people. And so the Holy One is in the business of making us a pure and perfected people. And so if you are not regularly in the process of growing personal purity, turning from sin, repentance, something's wrong, and it must not be tolerated. It must not be tolerated. Look, I don't want to hurt anyone more than you're already hurt by sins and transgressions, the consequences of which you still live with. But if you have yet to marry and planning on marrying, I must tell you something. Marriage is for keeps. There is no out clause. Stop thinking it's permissible to exercise it. We have really lowered the bar. I know it's a stressful day and you feel like you, or so do I, deserve a break today. And so we lend our senses to things that everyone else is, our eyes, everything. Folks, it's not permissible. It's not permissible. It is unacceptable. But you are a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we look like everybody else. It's no wonder they aren't pouring in the doors. There's more enthusiasm for the Houston Texans than there is for the common good, well-being, and purity of the church of Jesus Christ by its members. Come on! I was in a missionary organization a long time ago, and I was upset by things, and had an audience with the uh, international head of the organization so that I could uh, utter my complaint, and I did. And he listened with great patience and forbearance. And when I finished, he said to me, Stuart, get out of yourself. And then he left the room with me in it. <laughs> I had only exacerbated my, my disgruntlement until I realized, oh, we're in a great commission society. Seeking to rescue the perishing. And I was upset about my dental plan or who knows what. I don't. I don't. <sighs> Constructive suggestions and c criticisms makes the totality of a church stronger. Pot shots. Because you're not in touch with your own dissatisfaction, discontent, woundedness, and unresolved issues only undermines the common good. Grow up. We who know the perfect one are being increasingly perfected. 
we're being made ready for. You know what we're being made ready for? You know, these concepts make me not be too concerned about whether the chairs are comfortable, whether someone greeted me in the hallway. I, this, this reality. I'm going to a place called the New Jerusalem. Yeah, see, that just... Boy, that is a New Jerusalem. See, I, I know about the, the present one, but no, no, I'm, I'm not going to that... I'm going to one called the New Jerusalem. And if you're a Christ follower, so are you. And of that place, we read in the final book of the Bible, the victory book, Revelation 21, verse 27, and nothing unclean shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Mine is. Is yours? Are you inscribed for life? That ought to loom so large that even when you suffer an indignity, an offense, a justifiable wound by a fellow church member, pastor, or staff member, your inclusion in the New Jerusalem ought to loom so large that those personal offenses and wounds pale in comparison and you find yourself being forgiving and just saying, you know what my problem is, Lord? I expected more than I should have from those people. <laughs> that pastor is just a human. That Jewish guy is just a short human. <laughs> but now let's get back to this. My name is inscribed for life. I'll not be excluded from the new Jerusalem. Though it says no unclean thing can enter in, I'll be included. Why? Because he transferred his cleanness to me, though I be unclean. This is unbelievable. In this text, he essentially says, don't touch a leper. Don't touch someone in the course of their bodily discharge. Don't touch a dead body. You will pick up the uncleanness, the defilement, and all the rest. And yet this Jesus touched everyone. You read in the New Testament, do you remember when he laid hands on a leper? Do you remember when he laid hands on a woman suffering from an unending bodily discharge? And do you remember when he laid hands on a dead person and said, rise up and live? Interesting. His cleanness is communicated to those who are unclean, but the uncleanness of those who are unclean is not communicated to him. So if you have received the master's touch, you are no longer considered to be unclean. Therefore, he has met your need, satisfied the requirements of your inclusion in the new Jerusalem. You though unclean by nature, have been pronounced clean and there is nothing that will keep you outside the camp. That being the case, being in the camp, this is the camp. Love it. Rejoice in it. Get over yourself. Seek the common good. Stop asserting your rights. I have a right to be recognized. I have a right to be acknowledged. I have a right to be encouraged. I have a right to be infirmed. No. 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 I have the intense privilege of being in the camp of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I want to serve. I want to do better. I want people to point out where I have failed. But this idea of using church membership as a club, I'll withdraw, I'll leave, I'll do that. In Iraq, we lose, in Afghanistan, we lose soldiers through something called an IED. Um, Explosive, an improvised explosive device. (laughs) Some of our members are IEDs. They're ready to go off at any time. The minute you make a mistake, you do something. Is this a club? Do we have nothing else to hold us together but meeting each other's needs? No, it's not a social service organization. It's not a humanitarian aid society. It's not a crisis counseling center. It's not an emergency room. It's a great commission society where we stick together so that together we can be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. And when they watch us treating each other with contempt, we just violated our testimony, our whole mission statement. Have you been touched by the Savior? You're clean. Live that way. Live that way. I was reading in 1 Corinthians, and I promise we'll, I'll wind down here in just a second, take a couple of Valium, and I'll be okay. <clears throat> you know, uh, I've never belonged to anything like the local church. I belong to the synagogue. I belong to the Little League. My parents took, you know, we had, they belonged to the PTA. You know, I belonged to a fraternity in college, you know, all this kind of stuff. I belonged to the United States of America. But to be in the camp of Jesus Christ, oh, is to die for. Come on, grow up. Me too, me too, me too, me too. Come on. Come on. Can I encourage you? Please stop using electronic means of communication to take pot shots. Let's have face-to-face conversation. You probably have something to say that we need to hear, respond to, maybe even ask you to forgive us for. But that email stuff creates a boldness. That you wouldn't possess if we went eyeball to eyeball. Man up. <clears throat> so I'm reading in First Corinthians, and if you know about the Corinthians, they weren't too clean. Oh my goodness. Behaviorally. But positionally they were because they had the master's touch. Of them, Paul said this. First Corinthians, it's chapter 5, a couple verses, 6 and 7, I think. He said, uh, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? So he said, clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. See, it's the same principle in the New Testament that we've just been acquainted with here in the Old Testament. He's basically saying unchecked sin, immorality in the camp of Jesus Christ. It's like leaven. It affects, it affects the whole 
the whole body. So he says, uh, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Clean it out that you may be a new lump. This is this, just as you are in fact unleavened. Leaven's a symbol of sin. He tells, he tells the Corinthians, you know, they're infamous for being, for being not so hot. He tells them, you're, you're unleavened. And they, I, I'm asking, what, 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 what? How could, on what basis could they be considered unleavened, clean? Then he answers it in the next phrase. He says, for Christ, our Pesach, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. I, like you, am leavened by nature, sin. But God looks upon us as if we're unleavened. We call that justification. Oh, just as if I, I have no leaven. Oh, oh. So he's saying, act like you now is. You don't have to become who you ought to be. You have to live up to who you now is. You is unleavened. <laughs> Show it. Live it. Do it. Raise the bar in your own life. Watch the eyes. Watch the hands. Watch, watch the senses. Watch, watch, watch. Say no to the flesh at least once a day. <laughs> Come on. Come. Why? To win God's favor? No, no, that's the point. Just as you are already unleavened. All God is saying, just live a life in accordance with who I already pronounced you to be. And I already pronounced you to be unleavened on the basis of my shed blood. Hebrews 13 tells us that this Jesus was sacrificed outside the gate. He knows what it's like to be put out of the camp, not to be included. He died outside of the camp for those of us who are outside of the camp so that by faith we could be put in the camp. Love the camp. Protect the camp. Live a clean life in the camp. Because if we don't, even our secret sin can have a contagious effect on the camp. Folks, that structure in the back is going up. It will go. It will be completed. Uh, the Lord is leading us into it. It'll be on his timing. Let it be on his timing. That's not the point. And there are people here who are doing an unbelievable job making sure construction is being done well. All the fancy, the things I don't understand, construction things and structural things and walls and foundations. It's marvelous to have such talented uh, people on board and all the rest. But after this wonderful building is put up, we don't want to go into it. <laughs> it being perfectly constructed and without flaw, but we going in with lots of flaws and uncleannesses. Because the project that faces the church is not the building of that building. That building is going to happen. It's the building of this building. Living stones. Temples of the Holy Spirit. That's just space for us to occupy in such holy manner that unholy people will be attracted, come our way, and receive our disease, holiness. We want to communicate holiness to them instead of having the world communicate its unholiness uh, to us. 
could I encourage you? I'm trying to do this myself. I want to turn up the burner. I don't want to coast. I don't want to slow down right now. I want to be uh, under closer scrutiny. I want to raise the bar. I want to avoid the pitfalls of the world. I want to watch who I look at, what I touch, who I'm with, what I read. I want to be accountable and all the rest. And I don't want to be a critic of the local church, which has invited me to become part of it. I want to contribute to it. I want it to be better. Though it be imperfect, I want it to be a little better. Anyone can criticize it. We could use some cheerleaders, folks. Critics are a dime a dozen. Let's cheer each other on. One falls. Get up. You could do it. Get up. You could do it. We'll help you. We'll hold your arms up. Hold my arms up. Let's get down the road together. Come on, folks. Come on. Israel went from bondage on the way to promise. Stumbling, falling, grumbling, (laughs) complaining. I'm glad God recorded that, though it pains me. These are my people. But I'm glad he recorded it because I don't want to be like one of those people in this. This is my camp. This is my camp. Don't you want to get to the point where it doesn't matter if all the decisions meet with your liking, if everything happens the way you like it, if the temperature in the rooms are always good, if you always get your favorites. (laughs) Don't you like to the point where you get to the point where you say, this is my camp. For better or for worse. It doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter when mistakes are made. uh, 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 There's oversight. It doesn't matter. I don't want the leadership of my church. I don't want my fellow members to be always walking on eggshells, careful about what they say, this, that, the other thing. I would rather have the level of commitment to the church be greater than it is to the PTA, the Little League the American Legion or some of these other organizations, all which are wonderful, but they have no eternal existence. We do. Church of Jesus Christ. Oh, my goodness. I would rather be a member of this local church than any other organization on earth. You know how important you are and I am? Your individual secret sin can have a contagious effect on the body. That's how important you are. For your sake, be clean. But for the sake of your local church, be clean. No man is an island. Lord Jesus, we're a little slow. We don't get things right away. Help us to get that we've been saved into a community. Yes, salvation is personal. Each one must accept your touch of forgiveness and pardon. Of course. But then you didn't save us to be islands. (laughs) You saved us to be part of a camp, a community in our day, a local church. This local church no God in heaven we contribute to it or detract from it yes financially and 
all the rest, but even in terms of the way we live. Oh God, I pray for your glory and for the sake of this body for which you died. I pray you would put it within us more than ever before to be clean, to lift up holy hands. How could we ascend to your holy temple without holy hands? How could we have greater intimacy and closeness, proximity to you, if we have to lift up to you unclean hands? And, oh God, this rugged individualism, me, my, mine, I don't think there's much room for it in the church of Jesus Christ. Oh God, would you help us to develop the quality of meekness which says, I think I've been wronged, but it's okay if I don't say so. Let me just take it to you, ask you to keep it from happening again, and tell you I forgive the wrongdoer, because there's much more important stuff going on around here than my personal feelings and interests. Thank you, O oh God, for adopting us into your family, which consists of the worldwide church and which is ordered and organized in local churches such as this one. Please keep us from detracting from it. We love it. You love it. It's the only hope for the world, the local church of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.